good evening. Um, I'm Father Lee Nelson, the rector of Christchurch Waco, and I'm uh, doing something new tonight, which is live streaming uh, my catechesis session. Usually in my catechesis class, we go through the catechism on Sunday mornings, but here I am tonight, uh, and I hope you'll find this helpful. Uh, I will be recording and, uh, and going live with our stream tomorrow for the celebration of the Eucharist. And uh, I hope you'll tune in tomorrow at 1045 for that. And we'll begin with great litany and supplication and continue on uh, with the Eucharist. And then, uh, and uh, so I hope you'll be able to tune in to listen to the sermon and other things there. But tonight we're going to be just looking at the catechism and we're starting uh, on question 207. Uh, actually, it's 209 in the catechism. Um, this is the very tail end of the Lord's Prayer, and when we finish this section from the Catechism, and when I finish teaching on it, I'm going to do a bit of teaching on how to do morning prayer and how to do the daily office uh, from the prayer book, but I'm actually going to stop uh, this stream and then start afresh uh, so that I can have a whole new set for that. Um, but let's do it. I'm actually going to read the answers this time. I usually read uh, the answers, I usually read the questions and then the people read the answers, but this is different. Question 209, this is on page 78 of the Catechism. What is the seventh petition? The seventh petition is, but deliver us from evil. What is evil? Question 210. Evil is the willful perversion of God's will. Evil defies God's holiness, violates his law, enslaves us to sin, and mars his good creation. That question begins with evil being the willful perversion of God's will. I cannot commit evil unwillfully. I can't do it uh, in any other way but with my will. Um, what is the will? Well, the will is how I act. It's what I do. It's, uh, it, it's connected deeply uh, to, uh, to my ability to do things and undertake certain moral acts. But evil is the willful perversion of God's will. It's when my will becomes opposed to his will, thus defying God's holiness. God is holy, and uh, we're commanded in Scripture, particularly in places like Leviticus, to be holy. Why? Because the Lord our God is holy, and to violate his holiness and defy his holiness is sinful and evil. Evil violates God's law. God has put a law into his people. He's put a law into our hearts. And to violate this is a violation of God himself. Evil also enslaves us to sin. I don't know if you've ever had a particularly enslaving sin that's hard to overcome, uh, but uh, it's a very terrible thing. You think, I don't know if I can ever get out of this. I don't know if I'll ever be any other way. I don't know that it will ever be different in my life. This is the work of evil in human life, to keep us from thinking that there's anything better. And finally, evil mars his good creation. Um, it's been said throughout time that the devil does not have his own clay. He cannot make something. He cannot make evil, even. Um, what he can do is mar God's good creation. Um, I don't know if several years ago, you remember there was a, there was a Spanish... Uh, 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 art restorer, ostensibly, who had uh, uh, restored this image of Jesus, and it looked horrid when she was done with it. And she thought, yes, this is very good, and it wasn't good at all. Uh, this creation, this original masterpiece, could not be uh, 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 redone in someone's style. It could only be marred. 
And the only thing that she could have done rightly was to restore this piece of art, but she marred it. She had violated it. And to violate God's holiness is the very definition of evil. But why is evil in the world? If God is good, and this is the next question in the Catechism, if God is good, why does he permit evil? This is a wonderful question. I've often thought about this when it comes to catechesis, that um, for, for us as Christians, um, we can't have, good, quest we can't have good, good answers to bad questions. And this is actually a very good question, and it's a question that's often asked in the world today. If God is good, and if we believe that God is good, then how on earth... Is there evil as well in the world? And this is the answer given in the Catechism. God created rational creatures free to love, obey, and worship him. But we have used our freedom to reject his love, rebel against him, and choose evil. Yet no evil can thwart God's purposes, and he is able to bring about even greater good. So there's this first part, that God created rational creatures free to love, obey, and worship him. We human beings were made, this is who it's talking about, rational creatures. We are rational creatures. There are other rational creatures in creation, but we'll get to them later. We human beings are, were created rational creatures. Well, what does this mean? It means that we can use our minds, and we can use those minds to influence our wills uh, and to undertake good acts uh, by working of our reason. And we're free to love, to obey, to worship God. We are also concurrently free, this is what the Catechism says, to reject his love, to rebel against him, and to choose evil. This is the accounting for why there's evil in the world, that God doesn't make us automatons, but rather makes us free agents, free to do good, and therefore free to do evil. But listen to what the Catechism says, yet no evil can thwart God's purposes. And he is able to use evil to bring about even greater good. What a message for this time in which our, our world is suffering under this uh, coronavirus, this COVID-19 pandemic. It's very clear that it's evil. It's against God's will uh, that this should happen, but yet it is permitted in the world. Well, well what's to account for this? Um, we can see what's to account for it. People are being, and you can see this the moment you step into a grocery store, people are being selfish, they're being unwise, they're running around, they're, they're uh, in contact with others, they're shaking hands willy-nilly, and, and this virus is spreading. But yet, we Christians believe, and it's perhaps one of the most shocking things we do believe, that no evil, not a great pandemic, not a war, not anything, can thwart God's purposes. And he is able to use evil to bring about even greater good. I think of what's happened in our parish just since uh, we went uh, into this new mode of being uh, as of last week. What's happened in this parish? I've had countless people tell me, we're praying morning prayer in our family. It's amazing. It's the first time we've ever done this. People have gotten new insight into how they can love her. Keep going. All right. <laughs> um, Next, we ask the question, is God responsible for evil? No, the sinful choices of his creatures do not implicate God in evil in any way. Um, this is just an important uh, principle in what we call moral theology, that one cannot be responsible uh, for what one doesn't do. 
Um, I can't be responsible, in one sense, for the sinful choices of my children. My children have decided those things. Now, am I responsible for what happens after that? Yes, but I'm not responsible for that. And so, in the same way, the sinful choices of God's creatures do not implicate God in this evil in any way. He can still will the good while allowing evil to take place in creation. I use this analogy often, but I, 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 have, uh, I have six children, and um, they love, or some of them used to love until they were too big to do it, they love to climb on the back of the couch, and they climb all over it. And uh, we would always tell them, don't climb on the back of the couch. Please don't climb on the back of the couch. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get. You're going to fall, and you're going to hurt yourself. And yet, well, they well, they climb on the back of the couch, and they would hurt themselves. And, and then they would come, and they'd say, oh, "Why did you let that happen to me?" It's like uh, because I'm a good father. That's why <laughs> I can't. I can't track you constantly. Um, I. But but at the same time, even if I could, uh, it would be bad for me to prevent evil things or or hurtful things from happening to you because you'd never learn anything. Maybe that's just one way to put it. Of course, the analogy falls apart at a certain point. Now, question 213. Did evil exist before the human race embraced it? Well, yes. Satan had already opposed God and chosen evil when he had tempted Adam and Eve. The church teaches that Satan, prior to uh, his fall from grace, was one of God's angels, actually an archangel. And at some point down the road, he decided to oppose God in his pride and his arrogance and, and uh, attempt to undermine uh, and subvert uh, God's will, to violate uh, his holiness, to, uh, to mar his good creation. This is the work of Satan in the garden, is to mar the good creation of Adam and Eve. That is all he can do. Um, and so this evil did exist before the human race embraced it. So then, in question 214, we ask the question, well, what are Satan and his demons? Demons, of whom Satan is chief, are fallen angels. Satan rebelled against God and led other angels to follow him. They now cause spiritual and sometimes physical harm to mortals, and they sow lies that lead to confusion, despair, sin, and death. Now, Satan is the chief of demons. Um, he is an accuser. He is the chief liar. And Satan has rebelled against God and led other angels to follow him. Well, this is a question that we might wonder about. Why, how is it that, that, uh, that demons can cause spiritual and sometimes physical harm to human beings? This is a terrible thing. Uh, I've, I've seen people through the years who have been uh, oppressed or perhaps even possessed by demons, uh, and it's a terrible thing to witness. It's a terrible thing to have to go through. Um, well, and we can say, resoundingly, uh, with question 2.12, uh, the answer to question 2.12, that, that God allows this to take place. Um, but we can also say that, that, uh, that uh, Satan and his, and his armies have been granted some manner of ability to operate in the world and even operate upon human beings. But why is that? Well, because they've not yet been overthrown. They've not yet been destroyed. They've not yet been thrown down. We wait in this time in which we wait for uh, the, the final victory of Jesus Christ. We're going to say more about that in three questions later. But question 215, how did Satan and his angels... Let me go back a little bit. What, do, what is the work of these demons? They sow lies that lead to confusion 
despair, sin, and death. I'm actually going to say something really strongly, which is that um, these are ways that you can know if you're facing uh, some kind of demonic confusion, uh, demonic activity in your life. This has happened uh, in my life at times, where lies are being sown, and I'll find myself in great distress, in great confusion, great despair even, and sometimes often sin, and I'll realize that what I'm believing, what I'm thinking about, what I'm, what I'm pondering on my mind is ridiculous. It's stupid. It violates everything that I could possibly believe, and yet here I am thinking it. Despair is often sown in households. Despair is often shown in this way. Confusion is shown. Then sin, and finally, sometimes, death. So let's ask, you, ask question 215. Well, let me... Let's still go back just a bit. Sorry for this format. It's a little strange. I'm getting used to it. What should you do in the midst of that? Well, the first thing that you should do is, uh, I'm going to be very, very firm here, is that you should, you should make a confession. Uh, you should go to a priest and ask for help. You should go and say, I'd like to, uh, to receive a ministry in this. And often that's simply confession. Sometimes it's to pray for deliverance from uh, these evils. And uh, that's a very good thing to do, and you should do it. Um, the other is, and this is something we do at Christ Church all the time, ask for a blessing of your home. Ask for a blessing of your workplace to drive away all the works of the enemy. This is an amazing thing, and it's something that I would encourage you to do. The other thing that I encourage people to do often when they face demonic uh, trials is to pray and invoke uh, the ministry of the holy angels against uh, the, the works of the, of the demonic and the works of Satan to confuse and lead us to despair, lead us to sin and death. Um, we in our household call upon St. Michael and his armies uh, to throw down Satan and his armies. Question 215, how did Satan and his angels turn to evil? Well, Satan and his angels were overcome by envy and pride and rebelled against God. Who were they envious of? Who were they prideful towards? God himself. They were envious of his power, envious of his majesty, envious of his holiness. And they said, I'd like to sit in that seat. Uh, one of the definitions of pride that I'll give from time to time is that pride is basically saying to God, I believe you're sitting in my seat. Would you please move? This is what Satan does, and this is why he falls. And it's because he's a rational creature endowed with full knowledge of God, he can't just simply act in evil, he actually becomes evil. And so do those fallen angels with him. But now in the Catechism, we turn to angels and the ministry of angels and who they are and what they are and what they do. What are angels? Angels are rational, spiritual beings created by God. God's holy angels joyfully serve him in heavenly worship, and God appoints them to act as messengers, bringing words of guidance and assurance to the faithful, and assisting and protecting them. The word angelos in Greek means simply this, messenger. And these angelic messengers who serve God uh, constantly are rational, meaning that they, they have rational mind and a will. Uh, they are spiritual, meaning that they are in the manner of uh, spirits. Um, they are uh, invisible, uh, ordinarily. Uh, that doesn't mean they can't be visible, but it means they are invisible. They're created by God. 
And God's holy angels joyfully serve him in heavenly worship. This is the first uh, thing that angels do. And in fact, the highest uh, choirs of angels, if you follow some of the Christian authors through the century, the seraphim, uh, are the highest form of, of, of worshiping angels. They worship God constantly. And God appoints them to act as messengers. This is what I said before, that uh, angels serve as messengers, and it's what their name means, messenger. They bring words of guidance and assurance to the faithful and assist and protect them. In the Holy Scripture, when we meet an angel, it's often that the angel will say, Oh, have no fear. And I've often thought that that's because that's the first thing that we naturally do when we would see an angel is to be entirely afraid. These are not precious moments, angels. They are not sweet. They are not uh, uh, beautiful in that sense. They are terrifying because they're powerful. They bring words of guidance and assurance. Have no fear, the angels say. Angel Gabriel, they all say this uh, when they meet human beings. Have no fear. And they bring assurance to the faithful, uh, telling us what? God is in this. God is working. God is doing his work and then assisting and protecting us. I'm convinced that if most of us could simply see the ministry of angels around us could see the host of angels constantly surrounding us and doing battle on our behalf and assisting us. We would fall down in awe of God's power and work through the holy angels. It's one thing that we often, we often also say in the celebration of the Eucharist. We say what? Therefore, with angels and with archangels and with all the company of heaven, as soon as we're beginning the Eucharistic prayer, and I often like to think as I'm praying that prayer, think back behind me, all of these angels worshiping and adoring God um, as he presents himself uh, to his church in this wonderful sacrament. Um, very often also on Christmas Eve, I like to kind of come into the church before everything starts up, and I like to look around and look up in the ceiling and think of the angels gathering in the church just as they did on that first Christmas night work and ministry of angels is a powerful thing. Uh, it is not superstitious to believe in it. Um, in fact, I would say it's superstitious to believe in the work of demons and not believe in the work of angels. The angels are our defense against, uh, as I guess Harry Potter would put it, defense against the dark arts. Our ministry is the ministry of holy angels. Question 217, how does God overcome evil in this world? This is, after all, what we're praying for in the Lord's Prayer, in this very last petition, deliver us from evil. What are we praying for here? Well, it's something like this. How does God overcome evil in this world? God has triumphed over all the powers of evil through the death, resurrection, and ascension of his Son, Jesus Christ. God will finally destroy all evil, including death, at the end of the age. I love this word triumph. This triumph word should conjure up images of ancient Rome. When a general was granted by the, by the Roman Senate a triumph, uh, he got to process through the city with all of the, uh, the implements of his victory, uh, all of his uh, warriors, all of his army, all of his centurions, um, even elephants and things like that marching through the streets of Rome with the images of that victory in the front, and the conquered 
men in the back of the procession. Paul actually uses language like this when he speaks of a triumphal procession being led through a city with incense, the, the scent of Jesus Christ going through this city. This is what's being spoken of when we say that God has triumphed. In fact, in ancient Rome, if you, if you uh, were granted a triumph, uh, sometimes uh, they would take one of these old Egyptian obelisks and set them up in the city in your honor. And if you go there today, which uh, you won't be going there anytime soon, but, but maybe, hopefully, at some time in the future you can go, uh, you see crosses put at the top of these obelisks. The one in St. Peter's Square actually has a, 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 a relic of the true cross in it. Why? Well, to show us that Christ has triumphed over death through the cross. And because he's triumphed over death, he has triumphed over evil. And this procession goes out through all the world. But it's not total victory yet. What we say as Christians and what we wait for as Christians is the day that God will come to destroy all evil, including death at the end of the age, in the judgment. Jesus Christ returning to earth to make his victory, to make his triumph total. This is what we wait for as Christians. Let's turn to the next page and question 218. How does God redeem evil? Through disaster, disease, death, and the evil deeds of his creatures, make though, sorry, though disaster, disease, death, and the evil deeds of his creatures may cause great harm and suffering, the Almighty and all-wise God can use them to bring about his good purposes both in the world and in my life. What an answer for today. Though disaster, disease, death, and the evil deeds of his creatures may cause great harm and suffering, and you can't turn on the news today, or you search Google News, or even go through Facebook or Instagram and not see the suffering caused by this horrible disease rampaging throughout the world. Though that is there, and we see it clearly today, the Almighty and all-wise God can use them to bring about his good purposes, both in the world and in my life. We as Christians should be praying, indeed rightly, that this disease will be used for his purposes, used to further his kingdom, used to bring about great uh, repentance, not only in the world, but also in his church. I've already experienced some of that in my own life as I've realized that, uh, that it's been good for me to be home with my family, with my kids more. It's been good for me to see myself more as their priest than I do normally. These are good things. Are they better than death? Well, it remains to be seen, but we press on in faith that this is not only possible, but something that God can definitely do make this world better, can bring about his purposes, even through great evil, great disaster, great disease, even death. From what evil do you seek to be delivered? I seek to be delivered from my own fallen inclination toward evil. I also seek God's deliverance from the devil, from the dangers of the day and night, from sorrow, sickness, and horror, from injustice and oppression, and from everlasting damnation. 
When we pray, but deliver us from evil, we're asking not only for ourselves and that, that our inclinations towards sin and towards uh, this terrible marring of God's good creation, this terrible defiance of God's holiness would be put to an end in my life. But we also ask to be delivered from the powers of evil, from the powers of the devil, from the dangers that assault us day and night. A few nights ago, I was sitting in my living room with my wife, and uh, and gunshots rang out, three of them, one after the other. And we've lived in, in neighborhoods like this for a long time, so it's nothing new to us, but but... Night comes around and all of a sudden people are shooting up the neighborhood. Well, it's, we've lived in this for 11 years now. Uh, but, but, but to think that it's fearful to go out at night in our neighborhood. We ask for God's deliverance in the night. We ask for God's deliverance from sorrow as well. And who hasn't carried sorrows in their life? From horror, from being afraid I could only think today as I read the news how afraid, if I'm really honest, how afraid I am of what could happen in the coming weeks. I've got to be honest about this with God my Father and pray to Him for deliverance from this evil. We also speak of being delivered from sickness during this time in which so many are so afraid of becoming sick. I was, it was the first time that it's ever happened in my life. I was literally afraid walking the aisles of the local grocery store of HEB. Afraid that someone would get too close to me. Afraid that someone would cough on me. Afraid that someone might touch me. Afraid that I might touch something that was, that was out and inadvertently touch my face without washing my hands. And I just started to go, oh no, I need to slow down. I need to, I need to pray through this. We pray for God's deliverance from evil even in the form of sickness. We pray for deliverance from injustice and oppression. Our city, the city of Waco and many other cities like it, are full of injustice and oppression. We in the city have had a human trafficking problem for years. We've had uh, problems with payday lenders. We've had a problem with all kinds of things. We ask for deliverance from that. But finally, we ask for deliverance from everlasting damnation, which as Christians, we believe that apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ offered to us, we deeply and utterly deserve. We pray that God would deliver us even from that. Finally, question 220. How does God deliver you from evil? Jesus has conquered the dominion of darkness and now grants me victory over sin and evil through the Holy Spirit. He transforms my mind and heart to see and oppose evil and gives me the power to overcome it. He gives me the strength to endure my trials gracefully and may even remove them from me. So how does God deliver you from evil? Well, first we say this, that Jesus has conquered the dominion of darkness and now grants me victory over sin and evil through the Holy Spirit. To have victory in this life over sin is a wonderful gift. And it is a gift that we should daily ask Jesus Christ for to give it to us. To give us the grace of victory over sin and evil. Especially when we're enslaved to this sin or that. To see that Jesus wants to give us power to overcome these sins. 
And not only to give us power to overcome them, but to transform our hearts and minds. We need to have victory over evil. We need a new heart and a new mind. We need to be, as Paul says, transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we can both see with the mind and oppose with the heart evil, given the power to overcome it. You see, for for the Christian, sin is not just a matter of not thinking properly. It's a matter of having a kind of heart disease. And it's not merely a matter of having a crooked heart, but it's a matter of having a messed up and ignorant mind as well. And the two reinforce, each one reinforces the other. So we ask for the grace of a transformed mind and a transformed heart. Finally, we believe that when we pray for God to deliver us from evil, that he will give the strength to endure our trials gracefully and even to have those trials removed from us. You may have, uh, in your own life, gone through a time of great trial, of great testing, of great struggle, of great suffering, and it is not wrong to pray that that would come to an end. It's a good thing to pray that we would be delivered from evil. It's a good thing to pray that the time of uh, temptation and trial would come to an end. And so we pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made, and you forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts, that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. May Almighty God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.